0: Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mikado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening to episode 240. And today, we're wrapping up the key insights and market dynamics across a range of commodity markets. So our latest quarterly market insight report is just around the corner from release. So if you're on the mailing list, make sure you keep an eye on your inbox for that next week. But today's episode is a bit of a prelude to that report. And Ethan Woolley is joining me to talk through some of the most important themes and watch points for cattle, sheep, grain and wool markets. So thanks for joining, Ethan.
1: Thanks Olivia, glad to be here.
0: Been a pretty interesting quarter to put it mildly I'd say Ethan <laughs> with a lot of markets feeling the brunt of strong supply and really a demand picture that's been impacted by the poor economic climate around the world and you know to start out with wool is is one of those markets so we're currently in the winter recess and there's a nice 3 week break in there for the wool market but how were things sitting as we started that new wool selling season?
1: Well, yeah, the recess—it's a great time to catch a breath and and take in what's happened. Um, and it, and it's interesting you, you talk about the sort of the whole commodity situation we've been through. Uh, we spend a bit of time on the road speaking with producers, and a lot of the wool producers we speak with—they've uh, they've commented that the wool, for the most part, has been doing pretty well compared to some of the other commodities that they're producing or that their neighbours are producing. And that has been the case for most of 2023. Um, It's definitely been a bit more resilient, um, but it's not immune to those supply and demand dynamics we've been going through. And to sort of summarise that, the Eastern market indicator, for the most part, was tracking sideways Sitting in that twelve hundred to fourteen hundred cent range for twenty twenty three, but the last eight sales of the of the season bucked that trend, and as a result, we've seen a sort of a de- depreciation in the wool. Um, the EMI It's twenty percent lower than the previous year. It's been a it's been a bit of a turn at the end for the wool. Last June, the prices were actually at cyclical highs, but this June it flipped, and we saw a cyclical low point for pricing. Um, when we look at the pricing since 2010, Southern Fine Wool currently sitting at the 50 percentile. So we're now at a point where prices have been higher 50% of the time and they've been lower 50% of the time. So definitely an interesting time in, in the market to have a break and see where things go.
0: Yeah, it's been been an in, interesting one, that's for sure. And good to reflect back on where we're actually sitting in terms of historical prices. And you know, we can see quite clearly the the impact that. The demand picture is having on the wool market and the outlook at the moment. But what are some of the other characteristics of the clip in Australia that might have been contributing to that decline in prices as well?
1: Yep. So we have been dealing with a wool market that has growing supply on the back of the, the East Coast seasons we have gone through. The supply pressure will always result in the flattening of fine wool premiums. Uh, Next season, it's expected for the average fibre diameter to shift finer. So this fine wool price dynamic is likely to continue. But uh, more to this season, however, we've also seen that there's a higher proportion of wool with higher vegetable fault and lots where there's higher staple lengths, uh, longer than ideal in a lot of scenarios. So when there's more wool in the system, there's more for prospective buyers to choose from. So those less than ideal lots are gonna be bought and sold at the buyer's favor, more likely than not. Um, Now, the increased levels of VM and the longer staples aren't turning buyers away. We know this because the market is still clearing significant volumes of wool. When we look at the weekly average of bales sold, we can see that the underlying demand for Australian wool hasn't declined. In fact, with volumes up marginally for this season, um, it's looking relatively healthy. Um, we averaged 36,000 bales per week sold in the last season. If we look back at COVID, this was at 27,000 bales a week. And in 2015 and 2016, it was 37,000 bales. So we're seeing that the that the volumes we're going through are starting to bounce back. And that's a really healthy signal considering the prevailing demand drivers that is impacting wool and fibre markets currently.
0: And let's go to some of those, Ethan. So what are really some of the demand side drivers that are impacting at the moment?
1: We all know that the general economic sluggishness and the inflation pressures, they're sort of impacting all the aspects of the economy. But uh, more pertinent to the wool, I'd say, is the Chinese demand and the consumption demand for wool. Uh, The Chinese economy hasn't necessarily made the grand return post-COVID lockdowns that many had expected. So this could be a China-centric issue and that the demand for wool and luxury goods isn't there yet, or it could be that the demand is there from China, but because of the economic issues in the developed world, China's soaking up some of that lackluster demand elsewhere. So, But either way, the the sugar hit for the wool market hasn't come yet from China, um, and not like we've seen for some of the other commodities anyway. Also, Impacting that sort of demand side is apparel demand overall. When wallets tighten and and prices go up, uh, consumers tend to shift to less desirable, more affordable products. On top of this, the stocks of cotton, a uh, competitor to wool, have been high, and this will drive manufacturers towards that direction as the prices come down. So all in all, it's uh, it's a combination of cheaper alternatives. The Chinese not coming back in a big way. The general economic sluggishness we've been going through.
0: Yeah, it's a really good summary there, Ethan. And, you know, apparent that it's uh, we're seeing those trends across different apparel fibres as well, not just wool.
1: Now, I guess off the wool now and into the grain, it's been pretty volatile, so to speak, Liv. But after the supply-driven price shock from the conflict in Ukraine, Seeing wheat prices retreat to around 19-month lows, what have been some of the major driving forces behind the fall for wheat?
0: Yeah, one well, one of the main reasons, really, Ethan, is the abundance of cheap wheat supplies coming out of Russia. So we know they have harvested a massive 104 million metric tons of wheat to bolster their economy during the sanctions last season, and we're also seeing that grain moving out of Ukraine through the Black Sea initiative. But of course, you know, just recently the market's worst kept secret materialised with Russia walking away from that agreement. So this did cause an initial spike in price and it almost retreated immediately with the market sort of expecting that there'll be alternate channels for export created. But it's definitely a moving space and we're going to see that continued volatility as it unfolds. But politics and the Black Sea aside, of course, the weather is the big driver at this time of year. And the U.S. has faced challenges due to poor weather conditions in their wheat-producing states like Kansas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska. So that drought-like conditions there have led to poor yields and concerns over the crop quality. And so, overall, the USDA is expecting global wheat production for the upcoming season estimated at a record 700 700- Ninety-seven million metric tons, with the European Union leading as the top wheat producer. China and India closely following, and then Russia also had a pretty beneficial spring rain, which has supported their production. But it is expected to be lower um, year on year.
1: And and what about barley and canola? Some of the other major crops here. What what are, what's happening with those elsewhere?
0: Yeah, so barley supplies are expected to shrink in Australia, Europe and Ukraine this season. So that does affect the global ending stocks, but consumption is also tipped to decline due to those elevated prices we've seen. And on the canola front, production is expected to decrease slightly due to smaller crops in Australia and Ukraine. Now, larger crops were expected in Canada and Europe. But there are now fears of drought creeping in Canada as well that may cut production. So we might see some movement for canola as well going forward.
1: In terms of demand, what's shaping up on that front?
0: Yeah, well, we know China is still the largest importer of ag commodities and Australia really benefits from their their demand source. Um, we've got about 10 to 12 million metric tons of wheat expected to be imported by China. And that might actually increase due to the quality downgrades and because of unseasonal rain that they've had affecting China's own crop. On the other side, the Middle East and North Africa—they're around forty percent of global wheat demand, and and there are economic problems happening there, which have you know reduced borrowing capacity as well, and are affecting the demand picture. But overall, on the supply side, it is tight enough to really keep demand in check at a global level.
1: And before we switch to to the livestock side of things, uh, we get a lot of questions from um, from our growers and our listeners about pulses and lentils, um, they're getting quite a bit of interest at the moment. What's sort of the uh, the outlook for those crops?
0: Yeah, so on lentils, you know, and that, that was a feature in our side dish part of the report for, for this month, we know lentil area in Australia has grown significantly over the past decade due to, you know, improvement in agronomy and variety performance as well as pretty attractive prices and gross margins. But the outlook for this season, it is, you know, cautiously optimistic. So that dry start in Canada that I mentioned, it's led to a 15% reduction in areas sown to lentils and dry peas. So that's really tightening the global stock situation. So whether we see, you know, robust demand again, we'll have to, you know, keep watching for that, but it does look good at this stage.
1: It's good to hear. Uh, a bit of optimism never goes astray, so uh, that that'll be one to look out for. Now, moving on to the the sheep live. It's definitely um, optimism might not be the the exact word we would use. There's been a lot of talk about the supply happening, but I guess let's start with the demand side of things. Uh, what what are the pressures you're seeing on the market at the moment?
0: Well, there's, as you said, Ethan, there's a fair few of them. So we know that demand for red meat is really tied to its affordability. And with inflation on the rise, the cost of living crisis, consumers would be looking at more affordable protein options. Unfortunately, this means that, you know, lamb could lose out to some of those cheaper proteins like chicken and pork. And even from a global markets and customer perspective, like, We have seen the US, which was our number one customer for lamb, they've really cut back on lamb imports this year. And the potential, you know, mild recession that they're looking at as well could really temper demand. So um, a bit of uncertainty in the consumer demand outlook.
1: So the cheaper finished lamb prices, is that a reflection of that lower demand environment and that consumer environment that you're seeing?
0: Yeah, it definitely is. So if we look at, you know, trade land prices in the eastern states, they've fallen by about 16% in quarter two of this year compared to the previous quarter. And by the end of quarter, trade lands were looking at prices back at that sort of early 2017 levels. So, you know, while that demand from the US appears to be lower, we have seen, you know, Asia and the Middle East, are starting to, you know, take on more volumes of Australian product and we know they are demanding cheap protein. So that has helped to absorb some of that added supply, but these just aren't the high-value markets like the US.
1: When consumers are shifting towards those more affordable cuts, what we think of as, as producers and in the ag industry is that, oh, is there an opportunity for mutton? Um, We know mutton had its issues in quarter one, but uh, how is mutton currently doing in the market?
0: Yeah, look, to try and find a bit of a silver lining in the market, um, mutton exports have ramped up considerably this year, and that's thanks to the lower price that we're seeing in the market. So it's really making it a popular choice in China and the Middle East. So we've actually exported more mutton in the last few months than we have for 20 years so there was a 14% lift in the national mutton indicator in quarter two and prices are remaining in that 300 to 400 cent range. So processors are really prioritising mutton over lamb. And, you know, that is good news for prices in that any decrease in supply should further support them. Whether that eventuates or not is another question.
1: So that prioritisation is interesting because, you um... What we spoke about last quarter was the fact that we would see a long tail of old season lamb crops come through, but did you expect that supply to continue at these sorts of levels?
0: Yeah, it's been a really interesting one, Ethan, because as you said, we haven't had that winter tightening of supply that we normally would. So in May and June, MLA reported East Coast lamb slaughter was 11% stronger than the five year average. And sheep slaughter was 56% stronger. So we have to go back to 2014 to see numbers close to these levels during the winter months being processed. And interestingly, though, the mutton price was also trading in that 300 to 400 cent range back then. But the slaughter numbers alone don't really tell the full story because even though we have seen slaughter stronger in history, although it was a long time ago production is actually expected to be at a record this year and that's because we've had that improvement in productivity and genetics uh, as well as flock changes with more meat breeds and that's all increased the average carcass weight so for lamb it's looking to sit at 7% above the long term average this year and you just add on to that you know the Australian sheep flock and breeding you numbers have reached their highest level since 2007 so the growing flock And, you know, continued positive seasonal conditions so far at least means all signs are pointing towards another big lamb crop in 2023 and really supply just being ample for the time being. So on the not so positive note, Ethan, we will probably switch over to cattle now. But what are some of the key figures that really sum up the changes that we've seen in the cattle market?
1: Well, look, yeah, supply is definitely um, definitely the the key to that as well. Uh, it won't be a surprise to our listeners just about the current state of the cattle market in Australia, but um, I would say probably the key thing to take away is that the Yaki dropping forty nine percent year on year is probably the the best way of showing just that the level of decline in pricing softening so would be putting it a bit light because uh, we're definitely coming off the the good old days in terms of pricing. Um, What we can see, though, from the pricing data is that the younger cattle declines look to be outpacing the finished stock. Uh, For example, in Queensland, we've been seeing that feeder and heavy steers have come down around a 13% mark for the last quarter, whereas the restocker heifers, they're down 22% in the same time period. We've also seen that the spread between heavy steers to young cattle is moving away from negative towards zero. So June last year, that spread difference was about minus 19% and it's climbing to now just under zero. It's at minus 4%.
0: Pretty stark when you look at numbers like that, isn't it, Ethan? Has the El Nino outlook been the main driver of that increase in supply we've seen?
1: Well, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, topical, the El Nino discussion, will they or won't they? Um. But in terms of the supply surge we have seen and talked about, it was always destined to to come to a head as the herd matures and the season reverts to an average season, let alone a a drier season. There's been a lot of talk about El Nino, but uh, pricing isn't just climate speculation. Um, For example, we've seen that the Western young cattle prices are also down. um, And historically, the West isn't as severely impacted by El Nino as the East. So similar to wool, when more supply hits the market, buyers can be more selective and we're seeing that. If there is a supply shock, if the conditions do turn, El Nino is declared and it's hard and fast, there is still theoretically capacity for slaughter to increase. Slaughter has only peaked above the five-year average twice in the last quarter. So there is kill space upside. Model um, really sort of impact the ability for that to ramp up will be the economic conditions, the margins, and those costs for processes. Uh, they'll have a significant role to play in whether the upside can be utilised if the season turns. And look, if there's margin, then there will be support for pricing because the processes will want to get involved. But again, yeah, the, it's not just a dry outlook that's seen all this supply head to market.
0: Yeah, and I think labour at processor level is the other big one that we're hearing is is a limit to you know how much um, how many cattle can actually be put through the system because we know there's good margins as you said and there's good prices of beef at the other end but you know that labour capacity restriction is a is a real big one impacting the market at the moment. With all this you know this increase in supply heading to markets, where is it going to end up, Ethan?
1: Well, ideally onto onto the export market. The last couple of seasons we've seen inflated cattle prices and that's had an impact on beef export volumes. But uh, now that the pricing's come away, um, we're looking at beef export volumes and they look to be bouncing back, especially from important customers. Uh, Chinese imports are up 26% year on year for beef. So that's above five-year average levels. So that's very uh, good to see. And the U.S. imports are also up year-to-date by 18%. So this is particularly good news because the pricing into the U.S. is higher than last year. The 90CL pricing, which is uh, the one of the export indicators we look at, um, it's higher and it's actually tracking above cattle prices as well. So even though it's relatively more expensive, the demand from the U.S. looks to be growing. So that'll be really beneficial and hopefully something that can continue into the long term. I guess how much of that Australian cattle or, and eventually beef supply can be absorbed by those markets? Again, will depend on the state of the economy as we move towards spring and summer here in Australia. Cheap protein substitution is something to keep an eye out um, when times get tough. So the fortunes of our trading partners are going to go a long way, to see how we handle the supply surge. Um, and ideally, um, if conditions are track sideways, potentially improve, there is that sort of export relief that we could see moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear that at least for cattle, there is that bright spot in the outlook of that, you know, tight supply of beef to the global markets that should, you know, be a supportive factor looking ahead um, in the market. So, Ethan, I think that's a great spot to finish up on today. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope we have a more positive story, at least for livestock and wool next time we catch up.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Olivia.
0: Excellent. Well, if any listeners aren't on the mailing list for our quarterly report and would like to be, please email us at mercado.com.au and we'll make sure you get your hands on a copy. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.